The Library by Francis Rosenfeld Fourth Story Okay, class, remember what we talked about? Everybody must stay together now. We're going to visit the archaeological dig. You can take pictures for your scrapbook but always stay on the path. Mr. Deerfield raised his voice above the unruly group who moved around him, agitated, like a tiny Lilliputian army. Breathe, man, he told himself, already baking in the unforgiving desert sun. Just breathe, we're all going to be fine. All you need to do today is bring all the kiddos back home in one piece. She's crazy, and she's going to end us all one day. He directed a sharp arrow of bitterness in the school principal's direction. The daring spirit who saw fit, in her infinite wisdom, to send him to this devil's armpit with eighteen nine-year-olds and toad to gawk at rocks. Jack, are you listening? He raised his voice a bit more to impress on the habitually hyperactive youngster the importance of paying attention to his words. The latter looked at him, distracted, making perfectly clear to the teacher his words were wasted on the wind. The kid had this nonchalant attitude, which, mixed with a natural, casual elegance and a penchant for trouble, always made Mr. Deerfield think of James Bond. Mr. 007 was a handful, that's for sure. Though, God, the latter sighed, if there ever was a time to seek providential help, breathe, just breathe, we're going to be fine, I'm fine, they're fine, we're all fine. As if prompted, the little crowd dispersed in all directions, in ways which made it impossible for him to control, and the teacher's anxiety turned to despair. They crawled and jumped around the old rocks, ignoring any calls for caution or cohesiveness, alone or in groups of two or three, according to their friendships and interests. Gwen, Jack whispered from behind a large boulder, his voice sounded eerie carried by the wind away from his presence, in almost ventriloquist fashion. Gwen, come over here. You wouldn't believe what I found. The girl went after him eagerly, since he was the ringleader in all the fun games, and whatever he had found there was definitely worth seeing. Past the boulder she was met by the most incredible sight. People in funny-looking clothes were chatting and digging and carrying wheelbarrows full of dirt which they carefully sifted through large flat sieves, excited to find bits and pieces of broken treasure. Told you, Jack whispered, excited, and they said this dig had been abandoned ten years ago. You can never believe the grown-ups. We have to tell Mr. Deerfield. Gwen turned around, despite Jack's protests, and was stopped in her tracks when he went suddenly quiet. When she turned around, he wasn't there. She moved a little closer to the dig, sure he went there without permission, wondering if she should tell on him and deciding against it, when a bearded man, covered in sweat and dirt from head to toe in the middle of a trench looked at her as if he'd seen a ghost. Gwen, Gwen, is that you? He rushed up the hill towards her, and Gwen got scared. How many times had she been warned about strangers approaching her when she was alone? and this desert encounter checked all the boxes on her danger sheet. So she ran back to her class, to get help from the teacher. Mr. Deerfield, Jack and I found a team of people working on the dig. They are right behind that boulder and Jack must be with them. 
Can you please come with me so we can find him? Gwen, come here. But Mr. Deerfield, sit down, please. She reluctantly obeyed and sat on a flat rock that was right next to her. How many times did we talk about the fact it's not okay to make up and talk about things that aren't real? Mr. Deerfield, don't you understand? Jack is with them. We need to find him. She jumped to her feet and dragged him by the hand all the way to the boulder, only to see, in her dismay, that there was nobody there. The dig had obviously been abandoned for many years. Jack. She yelled over the landscape. Jack, where are you? Mr. Deerfield started to get irritated by this childish fancy and decided to nip this nonsense in the bud and with as little commentary as possible. You're too old for imaginary friends, Gwen. It's getting late. We have to go back. He sighed a sigh of relief, counting the youngsters and finding all 17 of them. Thank God nothing bad happened. I'm so mad about the mere idea of this trip. I can't even see straight. Oh, she'll get a piece of my mind when we get back. But Mr. Deerfield, we can't leave. We can't leave Jack here. Don't you understand? He's with the archaeologists. Gwen. There is no Jack. Get on the bus. But. Enough. He flashed a fierce look in her direction. Oh, great. A storm is coming too. That's all we were missing. Dark clouds had gathered on the horizon, threatening a powerful downpour. Everybody, gather your belongings. Don't forget your cameras or your phones. We will not be coming back here for any lost items and she sent them here on a Tuesday, no less. Had it been over the weekend, at least, maybe there would have been more people, so this place wouldn't look like a ghost world. Gwen's parents took her to a child psychologist who specialized in children with imaginary friends, and the latter convinced her, over many years, that her best childhood friend had been nothing but a fantasy. Back in the desert, a young couple out on a hike came upon a confused nine-year-old boy, who insisted he got separated from his class on a field trip. It was 1965 and the young people, who were very open-minded, entertained his story, delighted by its intricate details. After countless unsuccessful attempts to find any record of a Jack Mattingly anywhere in the vital statistics and a tolerant Tyrol at the boy's preposterous assertion he was coming from 2005, they filed a petition for adoption and raised him as their own. Jack realized early on that stating he's from the future would make his life, already upturned as it was, a lot more uncomfortable than it needed to be, so he decided it would be more to his advantage to pretend he had a passion for archaeology, which would provide him with an opportunity to visit the dig again, and possibly go back to his life. Being stranded in the past was a lot more pedestrian than the romanticized version in sci-fi novels. Between the prevailing standards of dentistry and the absence of computers, life felt so Roy could make one scream. No wonder they all did drugs. What the heck else was one to do under the circumstances? The silver lining was that, compared to his peers, he was so advanced. He got his pick of the most prestigious institutions of learning all of whom treated him like a genius. He really didn't like archaeology, which meant nothing to him but dust and flint arrowheads, all the same, but he pursued it with extraordinary focus, 
all for a chance to one day find his way back home. One can imagine his shock at seeing Gwen standing there, next to that boulder, not twenty feet from him, after all these years, looking exactly like he remembered her moments before his life was fundamentally altered. He'd thought about her this entire time and, despite his rational approach to this problem, emotionally he couldn't help blame her for his predicament, if only as a jinx, if nothing else. However, this was his chance, the chance he'd been waiting for, to discover what had happened to his old life, even though he had poured over birth records and school records and any records he could think of without once coming upon his own name. Emotion overcame all reason, and he ran all the way back to the boulder, chasing after his fateful ghost, only to find himself surrounded by a thick cloud of pot smoke. That brings back memories of my childhood. What kind of irresponsibility at smoke spot on a children's school trip? Someone should know about this. He could see the contours of a rudimentary house through the clouds of smoke, and a shadowy figure which emerged from behind the beaded curtain in the doorway, a little wobbly but in a glorious mood. Who are you? The man's mood soured at the sight of a stranger. No, wait, don't tell me. We don't like to be defined by names. It's reductive. Lay off the weed, Jack thought, and then curiosity won. So, if I needed to draw your attention, how should I address you? You can call me number seven, the stranger indulged him. Well, then, you can call me number five, if it's not taken, of course. Are you sure you don't want number one? It's available. No, I'm good. So, listen. Ah, uh, how do I get back to town? I need to check on something. If you figure it out, please let us know. Smoke? No, thank you. Just a phone, please. A Homeric bout of laughter emerged from the house in response to his request. Phone? He wants a phone. Exactly how high are these people? He didn't judge. He had been known to indulge a joint himself now and then, but he would have found them a lot more helpful sober right now. He could bet they weren't even aware of what year they were in. Funny you should pick that one. Another shadowy figure emerged from behind the curtain. Do you know what year you're in? 2005, he responded, unconvinced, instantly drenched in cold sweat. Another bout of laughter ensued. I hate to break it to you, friend, but I got stranded here in 2016. That was a while ago and I lost track of time since. I really couldn't tell you what year we are in right now. I was the latest acquisition before you showed up. I really thought time was still linear, but your living proof I was wrong. How many of you are there? Five, including you. You can pick your spot on the floor. There isn't much in terms of creature comforts, but that's all we have. That was twice now, twice that bane of his existence, which had disguised herself as an innocent nine-year-old girl had gotten him stranded in nowhere land, and the second time was much worse than the first. He simply couldn't contain his ire towards that useless airhead who clashed with his life and bounced it off course, not once, but twice. He swore to himself if she ever crossed his path again she'd hear from him, and oh, the things he had to say to her. She must be what now, 23, 24, living a normal life, oblivious to his predicament, 
probably unable to remember he even existed, spared a childhood stripped of gaming consoles and internet searches. She probably chose something obvious for a career, he was sure of it, something nondescript like literature or astronomy, and she would live her entire boring life without having to give a single thought to the consequences of her actions. We all live in this chaotic clash of behaviors and consequences inside which our barely thought-out actions affect others and theirs affect us in ways that are too many and too complex to track and morally evaluate. The mere fact most of us survive the slings and arrows of such outrageous fortune for a reasonably long time must be proof there is a god. Years passed, generously seasoned with happy smoke and mushroom tea and the blade of his ire dulled down, so, by the time fate brought him and Gwen together for the third time, it found him completely unprepared.